In today's episode of Network Collective, we are continuing our deep dive series on BGP. More specifically, we're going to be taking a close look at BGP path selection and traffic engineering. So in the next few seconds, grab a cup of coffee and settle in because we're about to get started. So we're going to dive right in. Uh, and the first thing we want to talk about is some of the classic options when it comes to BGP path selection. So uh, I'm going to head it off to Russ. Russ, why don't you uh, why don't you walk us through a little bit about some of the some of the more traditional methods uh, that people well, use? Yeah, let's just start talking about AS path prepend, which is pretty much the most useless version of path selection inbound um, inbound options to try to influence your path that's available. What, <laughs> what, what do you mean? What, words. what do you mean? <laughs> Every single document out there tells you that's the way that's, that's right. the way you influence ingress path selection. And, and and what's really funny about it is it's a hack anyway, but it's <laughs> it's a pretty useless hack, but it's a hack. So the reason it's pretty useless is because if you're, well, I shouldn't say it's totally useless. If you're dealing with long AS paths and long tails on your AS path connectivity, then using AS path prepend can have a big difference. But if you do, uh, if you're in the US or Europe or places where there's an awful lot of connectivity, where a lot of the providers are intermeshed with each other, AS path doesn't really make much difference because the local prep within each AS is going to have a much larger impact or is gonna override the AS path prepending you might do. So for instance, in Africa or Latin America, it might make a big difference. In the US or Europe, it's probably not going to make a big difference. Because of the number of ASs that you're, you're uh, transiting, is that why? <laughs> No, no, because pretty much everybody is connected to everybody else. Okay. You're almost right. dealing with a full mesh. So therefore, your provider upstream, whoever you're trying to influence your path on, that, now remember AS path prepend is for inbound traffic, not mm -hmm. outbound traffic. Right, right. And, and remember BGP was not designed to give you influence over inbound traffic pretty much. I mean, there's med, but that's more of a hint than it is a real thing uh, that was done for that for influencing inbound path. So the whole idea with BGP to start with is, if you own the packet, then you own the route, you own the, the way that it goes out of your AS. That's pretty much the way it works. So everything is designed around that concept. So um, if you're in areas where everything is largely meshed, then the route is gonna be coming from multiple locations from a particular provider's perspective and they're local prep, which is their outbound preference for which way they choose to go out for to reach a particular destination, is going to rule over any AS path prepend you can do. So it, it's really more about meshiness than it is, like my, like my daughter's rooms. It's more about meshiness <laughs> than it is. Phil, <laughs> Phil is responsible for the bad jokes for us when we talked about this at the oh, beginning of his show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have it on my job description, Russ, come on. <laughs> So, I mean, you mentioned local preference, right? So local preference uh, is a, you know, higher up the path selection tree. And so providers, right, they, they, they make these decisions based off of their peering policies and what's most economical, right? Like that's the reason why. So we drop it in their network and we say, hey, we want it to go this way. We want you to come to us through this particular connection. And we might even be able to influence our immediate provider, the one right next to us. But once it makes it past them, like we really have no way to influence that particular provider's local preference about the way we, the way they send traffic. Right, exactly. Because of course, again, BGP is set up to, because I own the traffic, I get to choose which path it takes out of my network. And there's a real, there's a real practical problem in this. I mean, I'll, I'll give an example that I run into previously. We had two data centers, one in Pennsylvania, one in Texas, and we wanted each to act as a backup for the other. 
Um, both of them were different providers. I think one was Windstream, one was Sprint, but both used level three <laughs> upstream, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which yes. is, I mean, a really, really common story. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we push the routes out and level three now makes the decision that no level three, I'll tell you at least a few years ago, level three liked Windstream far more than they like Sprint. I don't know what the peering agreement was, but that was the, that was the preference. And so as soon as we throw out this policy, now all of a sudden, all of our traffic that we wanted to be backed up out of our Windstream site was actually primary. Like all the yeah. stuff we wanted to land in San Antonio was actually landing in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so that's now, good. That's going to be regional, Jordan, as well. Remember, that's going to be regional. So, Level 3 has peering arrangements with Windstream and with whoever else, right? And they're trying to keep their peering at a level where they don't have to pay for peering with anybody. And Windstream and everybody else are trying to do the same thing with Level 3. So, Level 3 is trying to maximize their revenue by increasing the amount of traffic they're drawing off of their peers, right? Which converts their peering relationships into paid peering relationships. So they're going to max, they're going to manage their policy to do that. And you're not going to be able to do a darn thing about that. I mean, you can play with uh, AS path prepend all you want to, but (laughs) they're going to choose local preference and you're just out of luck. And like I said, it all all has to do with the economics. They're looking to make the best possible routing decision from a financial perspective, or you may be doing it from a logical perspective or design perspective. So something to keep in mind. So AS path, almost useless, even though every document out there says you should use it. Now the next one on the list, you, you also said is useless med. (laughs) So, (laughs) so so we're, we're two for two. So why is med useless? (laughs) So med is often stripped on the inbound side or ignored. Um, And you have to remember that even if you set your med and your provider pays attention to it, it's actually only looked at if the AS path or the next hop in the AS path matches. So it's, it's kind of like if you're running dual providers, using med to try to choose which provider to drag traffic in doesn't do anything. It's only useful if you're using two connections to the same provider. For the and, most and, part. and then only sometimes if that yeah. provider actually honors it and doesn't strip it on the way in. Right. And if that provider doesn't strip it on the way in or have their own local policy that they want to use, um, like if they're doing hot potato routing or whatever, and they want to drop their traffic out of their network as close to you as they can, then they're going to completely ignore your med. They don't really care. Yet again, the economics. <laughs> <laughs> Only economics. Okay, so we're uh, we're doing well here. So 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 we have two methods that are for the most part useless. What what can you use? What, so what can you use? The big the big hammer is longest match, right? I don't know. Nick is sitting down there not saying very much. I'm kind of worried about him. <laughs> I, I can jump in whenever. I'm happy to talk about this. <laughs> so tell us about longest match, Nick. Yeah, sure. So like like Russ was saying, you said AS path, and just to, just to back up, everything we've discussed so far is attempting to influence egress traffic. So when we set AS path outbound, or we do AS path prepending outbound, or we set med outbound, right. we're trying to influence traffic inbound by providing mm-hmm. hints effectively right. to the upstream and say hey, with med, this is my IGP cost. I just want you to know that in case you care about making my life easier. And 99% of the time, the answer is no, I don't. (laughs) The carrier, I have a business opportunity or some other reason that, uh, like Russ said, if I I own the route and I have a packet transiting my network, I get to use uh, the egress point. The longest match strategy basically says, 
with BGP or with any routing protocol, really, you can't compare two routes that aren't the same. If they have different prefix lengths, they're different prefixes, they get treated differently, different best path runs, et cetera. So if your dual home to multiple carriers are the same one and you want to influence egress traffic, you can send longer matches out the preferred path for a specific range of prefixes. Uh, traffic will ingress that way uh, and maybe with more generic prefixes as a backup from another site. So as an example, if you own a provider independent block of uh, IPv4 slash 24 range, you may put, uh, actually that's a bad example, I'll just call it slash 23 just so we don't go yeah. down that path. <laughs> you, slash 23, you might send that out your uh, secondary provider and two slash 24 is out your primary one so that traffic comes in through that primary one uh, as an ingress strategy. Uh, generally, the only way to defeat that would be through filtering or aggregation, and that's extremely rare for a carrier to do that to a customer's uh, prefix. So, which which also sounds like a hack. It, oh, it is. Yeah, I would I would call it that, and I think I think Russ uh, summarized it nicely in that it pollutes the default free zone. You effectively end up with a whole lot more state in the network, uh, and well, without getting too much into the. Uh, state optimization surface type complexity stuff, more state is generally not something you want unless that state is actually providing value. Now, from the perspective of the enterprise, I, I use the word enterprise loosely here, so bear with me. From the perspective of the enterprise, that state does provide value because now we're optimizing our paths and we're getting ingress load sharing the way we want. But from the perspective of the internet, those prefixes add almost no value because they're going to all route the same way and that breakout only matters at the edge of the network. So something like MED that's non-transitive, it's state that doesn't leave past your first hop. If MED were actually honored uh, and used, that optimization could potentially happen without the need for the hammer. But again, it's, it's, it's always this contentious relationship between trying to right. uh, load share ingress traffic based on the enterprise's needs versus the business needs of the carrier to which they connect. Yeah, there are actually some providers who are talking about doing slash 25s, by the way. There was a big discussion on Nanog about it, uh, Nanog mailing list about it. Uh, it's been ongoing, and it's been ongoing for many years about routing slash 25s. Um, and there's also discussion about automatically aggregating routes. Um, there have been features in various versions of routing protocol stacks that will allow you to automatically aggregate routes uh, depending on what's going on. Uh, so there has been that been going on as well. Another interesting thing is, is that uh, you look at the concept of the DFZ and this is like a tragedy of the commons problem, right? I can actually gain a little bit of financial help by forcing my inbound traffic to be load balanced better. But what I'm doing is I'm actually pushing state, like Nick said, and processing power onto the rest of the internet to solve this problem for me. So there's like this tragedy, the common things goes, goes on where slash 24s are the ones that bounce most often and slash 24s are the most problematic from a processing perspective, but people use them in order to do traffic engineering. I think it's something like, I don't know, Jeff Houston does statistics on this. I think it's like 75 to 80% of all the slash 24s in the internet are for traffic engineering purposes. Um, and, and by the way, there's even a feature in many routing protocol stacks that allow you to dynamically advertise a slash 24. Um, only when you see particular links go down, you can advertise a slash 24 uh, to not pollute the DFZ, but to direct traffic when you need to down specific paths. Um, it's a little bit crazy and it takes a while to converge so people don't use it, but there are ways of doing this. Yeah, it's conditional route injection. Yeah, it's conditional route injection, yeah. So there's a, there's a term I wanna, I wanna highlight here that, that's been thrown around a couple of times, it's DFZ. So if you're watching this show, you don't work for a service provider or haven't been doing this for, you know, a long time. DFC means just internet. Like it's, it's, it's the area of routes that uh, are public provider transit space. 
the area, a, a router belongs to the DFZ if it does not need a quad zero to reach every destination on the internet. Right. So that, that's why it's DFC, default free zone. There you go. So, so I just wanted to call that out because it's a, I think it's one of those terms that maybe not be as yeah. pervasive with everyone who listens. Um, so yeah, so so long as match works, but there's a the drawback. We talked about the fact that providers, you know, usually only accept down to slash 24. If you only have a slash 24 out of a site, now you're doing gymnastics to try to get, in, uh, try to get you know, router path selection there because you can't get any more detailed than that uh, at, a large, large majority of the providers out there. Right. And your provider may accept a slash 25 and then filter it at their edge. Some do. Right. Um, but they, again, just something to keep in mind that, you know, yeah. when you're talking about space and allocation, you may want to allocate a slash 23 somewhere so you can do more specific routes right. rather than a slash 24 to give yourself, you know, some mechanism to send a longer route yes. instead. All right. right. So, we, I mean, is that, is that it for ingress? Anything else we want to talk on Ingress or do we want well, to move on? Uh, it, uh, ultimately, wouldn't a typical enterprise not really care about a lot of that? I mean, honestly, when I'm setting up uh, simple network relationships with my local ISPs, multiple ISPs in one data center and maybe another data center geographically not too far away, I'm really not concerned about, you know, 74 different hops in. I'm really concerned about that immediately adjacent neighbor relationship and that ingress point. So if they're both connected to level of three on the back end, I don't care as long as it's coming in that router instead of that router. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's assuming that you're using the same provider. Right. Not even, not necessarily. I mean, it's because you can still, like we were talking about before the show, I can still jump on and, and look in route views and you can still see that this is taking effect. Now, I've never been able to do that with my, again, my, my local ISPs router to see if things are effective, but I can see the traffic coming in where I want it to come in and, and in testing, see how it doesn't when I don't prepend uh, ASs, you know, so, so, so it does have a, it, we, we say it's useless, but it does take, it does have some effect there. Doesn't it? Is it, would you say it's 97% useless then? I, I would say it's 97% useless because okay, so there's a 3% in, in the U S <laughs> right. You're going to back into level three. Mm -hmm. And right. so, right. So you're not really, I mean, level three is going to choose which of the tier two providers to go through to reach you. And they're not really going to care about your AS path prepend mm -hmm. for the most part. They're going to hot potato route, and that's going to be the end of it. If it happens that, and it's worse in different geographic regions, honestly, because if it happens that, um, but you're you're going through two providers in the same region, and they both connect to level three at the same pop, then AS path prepend actually may give you control over which of the two upstreams you're using that level three will use. And I bet that that's pretty common for a typical enterprise with that could be, 5, 000, that could 6, be. yeah not, not a, a mega distributed you know global enterprise i bet you that that's at least that's been a very common experience for me you know so so i'll say this and this is this is not necessarily directly bgp related is that if i'm buying transit or if i'm buying service from two upstreams in order mm -hmm. to give myself resilience i would actually say you might be better off to buy two connections from the same upstream and ask for path diversity. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's good until there's an upstream issue in that ISP. So yes, for, for example, back to the same company I was talking about before where we had the issues with uh, level three and their, and you know, their local preference, that same issue had a, or that same company had an issue where they had a customer who was being denied of service 
attacked. And when that happened, it actually was saturating one of their 10 gig backbone links. It was hmm. significant yeah. amount of traffic that yeah. was coming through. Oh, by the way, both links out of our data center were to them via diverse paths, but it didn't matter because once we hit their backbone network, we were taking the same backbone link to make it out into their preferred transit provider and we were just down. And so the, it, just like everything else, there's trade-offs. Yes, you might yeah. get some more, you might get some more options when it comes to path selection, but just because you have diverse physical paths, if it's going to the same provider, there are still things upstream that where one issue can cause you issues on multiple links. Right, and on so, the other side, just because you have multiple providers does not mean you have diverse physical paths. Mm -hmm. Exactly, <laughs> because, because <laughs> once it makes it to them, where are they taking it next? Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so only one or two things to consider here, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if we just go with SD-WAN, we can have 27 different ISPs at one data center, and we're good, right, Nick? Yeah, it's not quite that straightforward because... No. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if you're, I mean, the one sentence answer is even if your overlays have all this great diversity and you've completely abstracted your transport away, that transport is still going to converge at some point, potentially, mm -hmm. depending on the meshiness of the network. And you're still going to end up that DOS attack that Jordan described is still going to apply, just that now your traffic's encapsulated. So, and just, I mean, there's always ingress and egress into the building and there's what manholes are they going through and which poles down the road. I mean, you can do a lot of work and still have somebody, you know, plow their car into a, a light pole down the road and cause you significant issues if you've not or, engineered the physical path of your Or finance yeah. didn't pay the bill that quarter. Oh, no, no, no. Oh. What I actually oh. struck a nerve. What I actually saw happen once was I actually saw a backhoe pull a mile of fiber out of the ground. A mile took, of yeah, fiber? A mile of fiber. Okay. And it took out both. <laughs> were, they, were, were they curious? Like, where did this thing go? The mile. <laughs> <A> mile. <laughs> what is this thing? <laughs> I don't know. Keep pulling this, it. This, it's this like unraveling the sweater, here. right? Like, <laughs> it, it actually killed both of the upstream providers at the oh, same boy. time. Also, it speaking was, of physical diversity, uh, you have to be really careful about physical upstream diversity. Now we're getting more into circuit allocation and design, that's right. but, which is but, a cool topic, but it is a cool we topic. We won't, we won't spend too much time on it, but even, even considering, you know, physical diversity, if you aren't careful about your agreements on what a provider can do for grooming circuits, you may plan a, a beautiful path diverse setup with your upstream provider. And then they could come in a couple of minutes later and say, Oh, this is much more efficient that we go this way and do it completely without telling you. And it happens more often than you think. And yeah, I've until somebody multiple... digs through some fiber and your CEO is asking, why isn't this yeah. diverse when you we, said it we was? Spent and all this time, right. Yeah, we spent all this time designing this diverse path and then they just made this decision. So uh, something else to consider there is grooming. Did, did you say grooming circuits? Yes, grooming circuits. I actually haven't heard that term. What does that mean? It's, re, it's, it's basically resetting the path. So if there's a more efficient path, uh, oh, a carrier okay. will, will take and say, okay, you know, well, this looks really odd. We kind of went all the way around the town. We can just go straight down the main street mm -hmm. where the reality is that the initial design is I don't want to go straight down the main street with both my paths. Bringing this back to BGP, it's called traffic engineering. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> just physical. <laughs> Layer one traffic engineering. Layer one traffic engineering, yes. that's. Exactly. I, think that, I, think that, I think, Jordan, I think you asked the question uh, a few minutes back about if there are any other potential options. Um, and I think we, we had this in the notes too, and I think it's worth discussing now, is about the RFC 1998 community-based option, which is effectively an explicit signal from a customer to a carrier that says, I'm going to impose some communities that are predefined that you've published mm -hmm. in a public place, like your website or your portal. I'm going to impose those on egress, send them to you. As, you know, it's eBGB route affixed with these communities. And then when you receive that, you're going to map that to a local preference 
on your side. So rather than me try to hint what my IGP cost is or do prepending or do de-aggregation, I'm going to just give you a community that's local to your AS. So I keep the state down on the rest of the internet. And then any traffic that enters your AS, you're going to route it out the link that I preferred. So for example, if the default local preference is 100, you may get, uh, let's say you get five community choices, 80, 90, 100, 110, and 120, just as an example. So you kind of have the spectrum of you know, really not preferred with 80 and very preferred with 120. And you may be able to choose from those five options if you have multiple path diversity. Now, of course, that local preference is local to a single AS. So if you have multiple different upstream carriers, you might have different kinds of communities with different arrangements. And the other drawback is that that information doesn't propagate to the next level of upstream. So you'd only be influencing traffic egressing from that one peer AS. So other customers or any other central services offered by that specific SP, you'd be able to influence that quite nicely. But again, past that, uh, those upstreams past it, you would not be able to influence it using that technique. Yeah. So, so as an example, if you had two upstream ASs that you were contract, contracted with, and they both connected to say level three or orange or whoever it might be upstream of them, um, but they were interconnected to each other. You could actually use RFC 1998 style communities to tell one provider to change its local pref so it actually prefers the path through the other provider than through you as the customer which allows you to control the traffic. So if you have enough slash 24s that you're routing, you can actually adjust your traffic levels by changing them in different places. And these communities go beyond just setting local prep. You can actually tell a provider through a community, many providers have this available where you can say, don't advertise it to this set of peers or don't advertise this particular slash 24 to this particular set of peers, but advertise the overlapping slash 23 or other things like this. So you can actually adjust or do AS path prepend, but after you send it to your peer. So you can actually do second hop AS path prepend with this kind of thing, which will sometimes be useful, more useful than you setting the AS path prepend locally. Right, so, yeah, so to summarize that, you can basically say the community technique is really just a way of explicitly signaling your carrier to take some BGP action doesn't have to just be local preference. Right, it can be lots of things. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the whole idea of, of, of setting a community like that is tagging a route to do something with it later, right? So the idea is, yeah. you know, upstream, we can, we can make a decision on that based off the community rather than some other hint, right? We keep, we keep using that word, and it's a good way to, to do it. We use the word influence because influence isn't definite, right? <laughs> influence is, right. I'm hoping to tell well, you where well, you want to go. This, yeah, is a bit more, this is a bit more explicit, right? So if the provider yeah. allows this or provides for it, and then we would publish that, like you would be able to go look up, these are the communities I would use, Right. And then you just tag it on the way out or add the right. community. Well, it's best to remember that BGP really only has a couple of metrics, really only one, which is local pref. <laughs> it, it really does. It has, it, has, it has an AS path to prevent loops. It has local pref as its metric, and everything else is considered a tiebreaker. So it's basically advanced RIP. <laughs> it's, it's RIP NG. RIP NG. NG. B NG. <laughs> Next, right. next, next generation. Next, next generation. <laughs> it's Rip Voyager. We'll go through all the Star Treks, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> path vector in that sense. Yeah, right. It's, it's not the worst analogy in the world. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so we've we've hammered on uh, on ingress path selection and what we can do. Let's talk about egress. What are some options on the egress? 
Yeah, so continuing on the local prep discussion, I mean, local preference is kind of the premier tool for that. <clears throat> I know we, we kind of started off in the show about it and we just talked about uh, combining it with RFC 1998 from an enterprise perspective to achieve ingress stuff. But really that mechanism behind the scenes, if we kind of cut out the community side of it and just look at it from the carrier's perspective, them setting local preference on a prefix influences how they do egress. And that is a uh, non-transitive, so local to the AS. Everyone in that AS is going to honor that, a, uh, that local preference and it's gonna be a, a very highly, uh, highly, uh, what's the word? Uh, highly considered, very uh, high preference value to effectively uh, achieve what I would call cold potato routing in a lot of cases where um, I have multiple egress points and I want all my routers in the AS to prefer exit point two for these specific prefixes, I would do the higher local preference there. And then all the routers in the AS would prefer that it'd be their best path effectively right. um, overriding all the other components. So local right. preference is kind of the premier tool for that. Okay. Yeah, so for the audience, sorry, Russ, you go first. It's usually used to, to implement hot and cold potato routing is what it's Act, really. And that's what I was going to bring up. So for the audience, hot potato routing is basically get it out of my network as, as, as fast close as, as possible. Egress. And yeah. cold potato routing is basically send it to the core of my network to do something with it and make a decision there. Cold potato routing is, no. cold potato routing is I want to control this traffic for as long as possible for some reason. Okay. Gotcha. I, I, so I am a content provider, for instance, right? Which happens to be true in my case, but you know, in many cases, like if you work for Microsoft or somebody and you want to control the customer's traffic and get it as close to the customer, like I want to carry it as close as I can to the customer themselves mm -hmm. because I own the network and because I own the network, I can control the customer experience. Hence, I want to keep the traffic in my network. That's cold potato routing. Okay. In hot potato routing, it's like it's transiting me. I'm not making money off of it. I don't care about the quality of service. Get it out of my network as fast as I can. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll qualify. You certainly could use local preference to help implement hot potato routing. The reason in my mind why I like to equate local preference with cold potato routing is suppose you didn't configure local preference anywhere in the network. Okay, it's tied everywhere. Now you're going to prefer your lowest IGP cost, which is going to give right. you hot potato routing by default. Yeah, give you hot potato routing. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of why this is you know again internalizing for me is when I need to apply policy in a way that doesn't necessarily agree with the underlying IGP, and this is true for IP and MPLS underlay networks. Um, then I can just do nothing, and I generally will get hot potato routing based on what IGP thinks the network looks like. Uh, if I need something special beyond that. Um, again, cold potato may not be the right word because it may not always be as far as possible and maybe somewhere in between, you know, the, the loop. Yeah, right. yeah. But either right. way, um, when I want to adjust policy, something away from what IGP says, I like to think of local preference as the tool for that. Yeah. Right. Right. Most often what, what this ends up being is what people call mashed potato routing. Nice. <laughs> when do we get into scallop potato routing, Russ? <laughs> That's what I'm really looking forward to. Put cheese on my routes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So local local pref we talked about like you said as a as not only uh, uh, egress method but we can influence our ISPs or communities to help them make a, a egress decision. What other methods do we have for influencing our own egress? I'd say probably the the other option is um, I'm, I'm sure other vendors have it too. But as a Cisco guy, I'm going to say wait. Um, one of the highest preferred things. Uh, it's local to a device. Here's the, the point of confusion or the point of maybe misinterpretation. Weight is local to a device. <clears throat> you would configure it on ingress from a specific neighbor for a specific set of preferences. And you would say, 
locally on this box, I'm adjusting your Beth Pass selection to administratively choose this route over the rest. Just because you administratively chose a route on your particular box to be best, that doesn't mean that it only has local significance though. No one else in the network is gonna see the weight value that you applied, but they are all gonna see your best path potentially. So for example, if I use, uh, well, here's a good example. For those who are familiar with BGP additional paths, uh, shadow route reflectors, uh, unique RDs, ways, basically ways to get around route reflectors hiding topology, which I know we talked about that in the last show a little bit. Another technique, I call it the poor, the poor man's you know, ad path. If you had multiple route reflectors that had the same view of the topology, they both pick the same best path and they both advertise that same best path to remote PEs on a network, that's not really valuable for high availability. But if I go to one of those route reflectors and I administratively tell that route reflector, hey, your best path isn't exit one. I know you're closer to exit one, but I want you to prefer exit two. It doesn't, that route reflector, it doesn't matter what paths he chooses because he's not really routing any traffic, but he's going to take that as his best path and advertise it onto those mm -hmm. PEs. And voila, now I've just solved the availability problem without any fancy features. So I just want to drive home that while weight as an attribute is local only, it can have global significance when strategically placed. Yeah. Another thing, another thing you can do is you can use it with something like an EEM script sticking with the Cisco paradigm or a script that actually sees the brownout in a network and then flips the weight on the local router connected to that particular peering point to shift the traffic to another peering to another edge without having to mess with local pref or anything like that because you're effectively just taking the best path out of the picture by forcing that one router to choose the other e egress point as the best path yeah it's almost like static routing in a way conceptually yeah yeah it is Thanks, static routing. It always comes back to static routing. Sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't really need routing, right? No, routing routing's really simple. I heard this has really? been solved. <laughs> yeah. Just don't tell Tony Lee. Yeah, no. Tony Lee may not like that statement. Tony, I swear that's not what I actually believe. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so is there anything else? I mean, so we've talked about ingress and egress. I think I think that pretty much covers egress, right? Like local preferences is the usual hammer weight is somewhat unique, but um, well, what else I we got? Too, yeah. I think AIGP actually is mostly useful for egress as well, right, Nick? Is that what you would, and there's other tiebreakers you can play with like oldest route, things like that. And, and maybe yeah. we can talk about deterministic MAD too. But. Yeah, AIGP is a fun one. So for those unaware, it stands for accumulated IGP. So what AIGP aims to do is it, you know, we think back to MED and the idea of MED is, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to hint to my PRAS what my IGP costs are, hoping that they're going to honor that and use that as a way to route traffic to me in the way that I like. Um, we've already talked about some of the dangers of MED and why, it, uh, in many cases, why it's not terribly useful. What AIGP seeks to do is it says, you know, okay, forget about MED. Let's try this new technique where we're going to add a new attribute. So it's not a negotiated capability. It's not a community. It's another BGP attribute that comes right after local preference. And what we do is we say at the edge of our network, we're going to take whatever our IGP cost is for the, uh, to the BGP next hop. We're going to include that in the BGP route and send it to our peer. And then when the peer's router gets it and it goes into their IBGP mesh or whatever they've got going on, what the router is going to do for best path is it's going to take the AIGP cost and it's going to add it to the beat to their local IGP cost in the local AS to get that next hop. And then the sum of those two numbers is going to be compared against all other routes. So it's effectively a way of saying, me, I can send you routes and I'm going to give you my IGP cost. 
for my multiple paths. So you're going to have that information. And if we agree to do AIGP as a mechanism, we can really get an end-to-end -end IGP metric between ASs if we wanted to agree um, that we wanted to use basically IGP metrics across BGP domains. So without going through like the local pref, it kind of flies in the face of Russ's statement earlier about local pref being the metric with this new uh, strategy, not necessarily saying it's better or common, but just that it's new. We would say, I'm taking my local IGP cost, carrying it in the BGP route, and then adding whatever that remote AS's IGP cost is too, and I'm going to take those numbers and compare them uh, directly. Um, it does suffer from some of the um, some of the issues about comparing IGP costs. So, for example, BGP doesn't uh, doesn't really care what the route types are. So, for example, if I have two, if I have different BGP routes, and one of them recurses to an EIGP route, and the other one recurses to a RIP route the RIP route's always gonna have the lower metric because it only goes up to 15 and EIGP is in the millions. So I'm gonna prefer that RIP path if it comes down to that. So with AIGP, the ASs need to be very coordinated in what their IGP costs are and things like that. So it's really more of a technique in my opinion for multiple ASs controlled by a single administrative domain uh, or a technically inside of a confederation. Um, I've personally not seen it deployed in real life, but the real design use case around it is I want end-to-end -end IGP metric visibility without merging IGP domains. That's what AIGP really gives you. Right. So, so this is really perhaps useful in, like you said, confederations, I think is a big, is a big use case for this. And I have seen networks where they do have multiple IGPs with a single BGP overlay, and they're using the same IGP in every place. Right. But they want to, instead of doing like area zero and OSPF, they want to do a BGP overlay hmm. and they want to keep okay. their OSPF metrics end to end in a way that makes sense. So I've actually seen this in some financial companies, this specific scenario. Um, it's also usable in a data center environment if you're using BGP on your data center fabric, but that's another entire, that's more of a something you have to manually set up and stuff like that. So that's, that's an interesting set of problems. But yeah, AIG, AIGP is pretty interesting. So I'm not, I'm not as familiar with this. And so this is a question I have about this. So AIGP accumulates obviously IGP by the name. When you then put that BGP route back into the IGP, is that, is that then retranslated in? Like, so when you redistribute in, the metric is brought along with it or does it just only make it to the BGP edge? <laughs> the, the design I'm envisioning is I've got two different ASs, two different IGPs, but those two, those two different ASs are running their own IBG meshes. So there's actually not the redistribution technique there. What we're saying is that, uh, you know, basically PEs on one side of the network and PEs on the other, which are learning those routes through their local IBGP. So they're getting it from their ASBRs, which are IBGP peers to them. Right. They're gonna get that route and say, well, I've got this one IBGP path. My OSPF cost to ASBR number one is 20 and the AIGP is 20. So that's a total cost of 40. And over here, I've got an AIGP cost of 30 so that means that from the remote AS, it's a worse path, but my local cost to that ASBR, the second one is maybe five. Right. I'm going to take 30 plus five versus 20 plus 20. Right. Thank um, but that allows me to have visibility into what his AS was so I can make that end to end determination. So when think, it comes think to- Think of it as a type one versus type two OSPF external. Method. Yeah. So it, it, it's meant for, it's yeah, meant it for BGP path selection. It's not necessarily meant for the extension of IGP to IGP over BGP. No, yeah. I was going to say the simple answer is if you're redistributing BGP back into an IGP, you're probably doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Most times, yes. Yeah. Like, like all things. 
<laughs> like all things, most times, yes. Yeah, I think I think that's a great analogy, Russ. I didn't think of it till just now, but OSPF external type ones uh, are are comparable to the the technology we just described. Right, right. that makes sense. Rural All right. I mean, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that, that sounds really familiar to, to cost communities minus the aggregated part. Right. So, I mean, cost communities, one of those things that I stumbled upon accidentally one time and I don't know yeah, that a lot of people. Oh yeah, it did. Cause I'm sitting here, <laughs> I'm sitting here scratching my head. Like why is this route being slight? I'm looking at the whole, you know, I'm looking, I have the one side of my screen is the path selection algorithm and what all the things that should be considered. I'm looking at the route. I'm looking at all the things it's like, okay, this is a worse route but it's being chosen anyway and not really getting a clear answer why. So uh, I don't think it's really well known. So what, what's the story behind cost communities? Yeah, so cost communities is a little bit different. So AIGP is a bit more modern. I can't tell you exactly what year it came out, but it's a, you know past few years. A cost community has been around for probably 15 now. Um, it's, it's not really well known. I personally find it really uh, relatively a complicated technique. So the idea of a cost community, it's an extended community. So you know, not like AIGP, it's not an attribute, it's a community. There's multiple different uh, what's known as points of insertion. And the point of insertion is, we're talking about with respect to the BGP best path selection algorithm, where in the best path am I gonna evaluate this cost community? So the more well-known one, uh, but also very more focused is the pre-best path point of insertion that happens before weight. It's like the super, the super hammer. Um, <clears throat> that's a pre-best path point of insertion, which is technically number 128, that's irrelevant, but I just happen to know that. That's typically used for EIGRP as a PE to CE protocol in MPLS layer three VPN environments, which in my experience is a completely theoretical design. Uh, I've not seen that in real life. And the general idea behind it is uh, when BGP applies weight um, for locally originated routes, you may wanna prefer a BGP path. Or if you're a PE and you have two paths to a dual connected site, you wanna be able to prefer the site based on the EIGRP cost and not necessarily the BGP policy. That's kind of the one sentence answer for the use case of the pre-best path point of insertion. Uh, as it relates to the IGP point of insertion, which is the default and more common one, what you're doing is you're saying right after BGP compares the IGP cost to the next hop, which is pretty far down the chain, right after that is when you start going into the really arbitrary tiebreakers, like the lowest IBGP router ID, the, the shortest cluster list length, the, the lowest neighbor IP. We want to, you know, we're basically saying if the IGP costs are the same, so we got through all the steps, IGP costs are the same, BGP normally says, okay, I need to make some arbitrary decisions now. What this cost community does, it lets you kind of shimmy in another decision point says, oh, wait, let's check and see if there's an IGP point of insertion cost community there. And right. that's basically used to determine which one's lower. So the design use case for this would be, suppose I have a network um, and it has failed in such a way that, uh, so let me, let me back up. Primarily the network, uh, I, let's say my, my IGP cost to exit point one is 10, and my cost to exit two is 20. So hot potato routing style, I go out exit path one, great. The network fails in such a way that now my cost to both exit points is both 20. I don't want BGP to just arbitrarily choose one over the, over the other. So local preference really isn't the right tool for this because if I did local preference, that's hard. That's like, I'm always gonna go that way regardless of the IGP topology. So I don't want local preference. I also don't want to use things like meta AS path prepending because I do want to rely on my IGP cost 99% of the time. But during that failure situation, now I want to impose BGP policy to choose which eager's point is better when I have multiple exit points from the network. So I might say that egress point one has a cost community, or let me, let me back up, you know, EGB, or 
let's say that in the case where they're both failed uh, or the network has failed and I have cost 20 through both exit points, let's say I want to prefer path two. So path one is going to have a cost community and its value would be 100 and path two would have a cost community of let's say 50. So when they, those numbers would never be compared when the network is stable because you'd go through the lowest IGB cost path mm -hmm. through exit point one. When the network fails, you'll compare cost community and go out path, exit path two. And I realized that was an extremely long and complicated explanation, <laughs> but this is a corner case feature that is only relevant in a small subset of design. So, yeah. so, when, so when the original cost community draft was written, um, which is draft IETF IDR custom decision, uh, you can go back and look. Zero 02 was in um, spring of 2011. I don't know when zero 00 was. I could go look and see, but it's older than 2011. The original problem that we were trying to solve was to the backdoor link between two EIGRP. Um, if I have two sites that are both the EIGRP, they're both connected to a provider and they're using redistribution, the external routes happen to always be, or the internal routes always happen to be preferred. So you play this game using BGP with custom decision and you can actually force the provider to do something different by using this custom decision stuff. So. That was the original primary point. The idea that Nick just talked about with the two paths that are equal in all case, or equal in a particular failure situation came up later. Now, when the draft was written, it's very complex because originally the idea was we would just solve one problem. But looking at it, we decided that it made more sense to do a generic, general type of thing because people kept throwing use cases at us. And so we said, let's just write something that's generic. And we'll just make it where the community can just choose any decision point you want to in the entire best path. Now, I don't know any vendor who actually implements that, but according to the spec, according to the draft or whatever, I don't even know what RFC it is. I'd have to go look. But anyway, um, you can actually choose any of the 12 or 13 or 14 points that you want to after and before any of those by setting the community up a specific way. Um, and it was just like, Let's just do the generic thing and get it over with and people can use it for whatever they want to. Um, I do think it's very complex. It turned out to be extremely complex to do this, but uh, it's you know one of those things that you don't really think about when you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Man, Nick, I wish you had a whiteboard for that though. It's complex. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was tracking with you and I was, yeah, but a whiteboard would have been cool, at least for the audience watching. And so I was going to say, yeah, white, whiteboards yeah. translate really well to an audio podcast. Well, for me, <laughs> right? Listen, yeah. all, all I have to say is that we love oranges as oranges mean pure refreshment. So. <laughs> <laughs> the draft itself is really simple, by the way. It's only like seven pages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing, the, thing that, the thing that makes it particularly tricky, I think, is that even though the use cases that we've laid out are also kind of corner case and hard by themselves, the thing that makes it tricky is because it's a community, you can have lots of them. Yes. You have different community IDs. So there's a community ID and a value. And you start by comparing the lowest community IDs between two routes together and the lowest number wins. And then you go on to compare the values. Right. You do aggregation of prefixes that communities get carried over in funky ways. And the uh, point very, of insertion is not, is not limited to 14. It's actually a full octet. So technically there's like 256 insertion points you can Oh, do. there are. Yeah. There, there yeah, are. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. 128 so, pre best path is number 128. And then the right. 155 values are free game. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> you can actually have cost communities. You can have like 200 cost communities stacked on top of each other at different insertion points. And someone or 
somewhere. That was a good idea. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I love networking sometimes. <laughs> so Russ, you, you mentioned something else, shifting gears a little bit here with uh, deterministic med. What is that? Oh, well, so deterministic med just means that you pay attention to the med regardless of the AS path. So normally with, with med, you don't really look at the AS path. Or is that always compare med? Am I getting them confused, Nick? Yeah, so always compare med. Yeah, what you're describing is the always compare med. Where you're yeah, that's always compare med. Yeah, yeah I, want to, I want to directly compare two meds, even if the... Right, even if the, the AS path doesn't match. Right. right, and that's usually kind of a goofy thing to do. Unless you, unless you control like all three ASs, uh, that's right. kind of usually not the way to go because, yeah. again... And providers won't do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if I'm using EIGRP, let's just say, and I got metrics in the millions and someone else is using OSPF and they got metrics in the hundreds, it doesn't, you know, you're in a situation now where you're trying to coordinate IGP metrics across a lot of different entities. It's just not, it's more of a theoretical thing. I've actually never seen that deployed. Right. Yeah. Well, I have seen it used before, but like you said, only when it's, again, it goes back from, um, it goes back to confederations a lot of times where I have seen it used. Yeah, is in confeds. Yeah, but but deterministic med. That the the thing about deterministic or one of the one of the issues with med is that like Russ was like we're saying you only compare med between routes that have the same uh, first hop or the you know the I guess first or next hop however you want to look at it uh, as path in the chain. So if you've got multiple, uh, let's just say I'm, I'm a router, I got three peers, two of them are with as 100 and the third one is with as 200, and I get lots I get some of the same prefixes down from them. The order in which I receive those routes could actually impact what my best path is because if I, yeah, if I, if I receive the prefix from the first peer and then the third peer, and then the second, I'm going to compare the first two routes first. So I'm going to compare two routes that have incompatible meds. Meds going to be ignored. I'm going to pick a best path and then I'm going to move on to the next route. Um, so the order in which I receive the routes makes effect. That's why they call it deterministic med. This is the default behavior without the feature is that you could do clear BGP and get a different result every time. And that's really yeah. frustrating. Now, the, the, the advantage of leaving deterministic med it, off. It, it, can, it can actually cause, by the way, this is also one of the reasons that you get, um, one of the reasons you get route trim. This, I, was, I was flashing back to Daniel Walton. Yes, and, that's exactly yes. right. This is, one of the, this is one of the things that came out of the route trim work was deterministic med. So, sorry, Nick, go ahead. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. And that's, and that's the, the major benefit of it. I guess I'll switch gears and just say the major benefit of it is that if your routing is deterministic, not only is it easy, for, like, you know, from a, from a business perspective and a network operations perspective, BGP starts to make sense again, uh, you know, unless, you're, unless you know all these caveats. But I certainly for route churn, um, <laughs> you do it because remember that BGP router, even though you did it clear locally, you would affect everyone downstream from you as well. So if you keep picking a different best path, that means everyone back beneath you is probably going to potentially pick different best paths too. That's exactly right. So that could potentially have some pretty far reaching consequences. And, and then it can actually loop back around to you and cause constant churn. Ultimately, there are ways in which it can come back around to you, particularly when you get into route reflectors. That's really the, the key point. But right. So deterministic med just says when I receive five different paths or whatever the number of paths are, I group them and I compare only the paths that are received from the same AS first. So I choose the best path for each AS and then I choose the best path among them rather than just selecting them based on the 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 way in which I've received them. Yeah. It's like, it's like a regional sports bracket. Right. 
bringing it home. We're, we're on with the metaphors today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I think, I think we're going to have to wrap it up here. So, um, before we, uh, before we go though, I want to give everyone opportunity to, uh, to share how you might find them on the internet. Uh, Nick, why don't we start with you? Yep. My name is Nick Russo. I'm a network engineer. You can find me on Twitter at Nick Russo, four, two, five, one, eight, or my website, njrusmc.net. All right. Are you, actually, are you blogging, Nick? No, I'm not blogging. My, my website oh. is like, uh, I built it in VI, so it's not impressive. <laughs> in the, okay. Yeah, the fact that you built it in VI, I think, is just a little bit impressive. The fact that you got that. out of VI is impressive on its own. I probably did that once when Nick was in middle school, but that's okay. If you go to it, you'll, you'll know why it was built in VI. <laughs> All right, Russ, how about you? Um, Russ White, you can find me at rule11.tech. That's the best place to find me. You can also find me on LinkedIn. and I do have a Twitter account. I just don't use it. Don't, 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 don't direct message me on Twitter. I, I, I actually, I sent you a message on Twitter, I think last week. Did I you? Think, yeah, yeah. You, uh, you, you posted a, a link to a conference that happened several months ago. <laughs> and I'm like oh. a little late with this one, Russ. Oh, oh well, see, that tells yeah, and you. And you didn't get it. So yes, don't, don't it. reach out to Russ on Twitter. He's not. <laughs> no, email, email is better. Or just use the contact form or LinkedIn PM is fine. All right. Sounds good. Uh, how about you, Yvonne? Uh, yeah, Yvonne Sharp. You can find me on Twitter at Sharp Network. I do read DMs. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn and at the blog at esharp.net. <laughs> Excellent. Phil? I am Phil Gervasi. You can find me at network underscore Phil and my blog, networkphil.com. All right. And I guess I'll round it out. I'm Jordan Martin. You can find me uh, on Twitter. I also actually pay attention there as well at BC Jordan on Twitter, uh, my blog, jordanmartin.net. If you like this episode, there's a lot more. You can find them at our website, uh, which is the networkcollective.com. We're on Vimeo, iTunes, all the other uh, podcast repositories. If you want to chat with us, we're on Twitter as at at netcollectivepc. And we're also on Facebook. You can follow us there. So uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.